Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. More than 800,000 people in the U.S. have a heart attack each year, according to the CDC. About 500,000 undergo open-heart surgery. And while both of these events are terrifying and risky for patients, that's not the end of their journey. Dr. Kim Feingold says patients can often experience significant anxiety and depression that can further stress the heart. So we know that stress, anxiety, depression can have negative implications on cardiovascular functioning. We know that their mood is impacted. So 20 to 40% of patients after open heart surgery will experience symptoms of clinical depression. Up to 30% of cardiovascular patients can experience symptoms of clinical anxiety. And we also know that patients can experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress and then general stress, while it's not specifically a, a medical or psychiatric diagnosis, is also very common and can impact cardiovascular functioning. Feingold is an assistant professor of surgery and psychiatry at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. She says it's not well known why people have an increased risk of clinical depression after a heart attack or surgery. However, the current ongoing research is looking at how physical behaviors factor into this risk. If patients aren't necessarily able to engage in exercise or activity so much after a heart attack or after heart surgery, but there appears to be a lot of the variance, at least 50% of it, is due to physiological mechanisms. And so whether there is a mechanistic pathway that's related to inflammation or to physiological arousal or sympathetic arousal, there seems to be some physiological reasons why individuals are at increased risk for depression. And also there seems to be similarly physiological reasons why those who develop depression experience worse outcomes and greater risk of cardiac morbidity and even mortality. Which is why Feingold says it's crucial to educate patients, not just on these statistics, but on the symptoms of depression, so that they can be treated before it leads to something more serious, like death. Feingold's the founder and director of cardiac behavioral medicine at the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute at Northwestern. Part of her job is finding creative methods of treating the whole person instead of just the heart. She recently worked on a pilot study published in Perioperative Management to determine if acupuncture therapy could be one of these integrative treatments. While it hasn't yet been used after open heart surgery, Feingold says there's precedent for its use in helping patients heal after other types of procedures. Orthopedic surgeries, gynecological surgeries, and has been demonstrated to decrease patients' need for pain medication, improve their experience of pain, and also reduce surgical side effects such as nausea, vomiting, and so forth. So we just thought that altogether there was wonderful opportunity to examine the role of acupuncture in the cardiovascular setting, specifically after cardiovascular surgery. Anya Gramon, an acupuncturist and Chinese medicine clinician at Northwestern Medicine, says the practice has been around for more than 3,000 years. 
it's made its way in 20th century, probably 1970s, it started getting popularized here in the US. In Chicago, it was actually legalized in Illinois in 1997. So it's still fairly, fairly um, new over here. Ramon's been at Northwestern for 20 years and says that in the beginning, maybe 1% of patient referrals were from physicians. Now she says that number has jumped to 95%. But even with this rise, there's still a lot of skepticism around acupuncture therapy. We were the best kept secret on campus for quite a few years. There were a lot of physicians, a lot of people who had no idea that we even existed. So it's been a long journey of kind of climbing out of the shadows. Now, where before it was like, this doesn't work. So there was a lot of dismissal. Now, I think the message shifted more towards, I don't know a thing about it. It's not going to hurt. So there's a shift. There's still not a resounding, yes, go for it or promoting it or advocating for it. But there's less resistance to it. If you're not familiar with acupuncture, it's often described as energetic medicine. The traditional practice uses the meridian theory, in which needles are used to target microscopic strings called meridians. They're tiny little microscopic vessels that lie inside your lymphatic system, inside larger blood vessels. They create networks around the organs, and they contain microgranules of DNA. Modern medicine explains these acupuncture points as groupings of nerve fibers. So when you stick a needle through, you stimulate these nerve endings into releasing a number of different biochemicals, endorphins, so natural painkillers, vasodilators, so they bring the blood circulation to the area, they regulate your endocrine system, so regulate hormones. It's a very measurable neuroendocrine effect as to what happens. However, Gramone says that while these two definitions have a lot of overlap, the main difference can be seen when stimulating a nerve versus a meridian. When you stimulate a nerve, I know exactly what's going to happen. If I'm going to stimulate your vagus nerve, I'm going to slow down your heart rate. I know what's going to happen. But if you stimulate the same acupuncture point, it can increase or decrease heart rate, increase or decrease blood pressure, increase or decrease movement of your intestines. The body somehow knows how to use the stimulus to its best advantage. Meaning that acupuncture helps your body restore its normal functioning by bringing attention to wherever it's needed in the body, which is different for each patient. Ramon helped bring this practice to Feingold's study, using daily acupuncture on patients who had just had open-heart valve surgery. However, the research looked at more than just patient symptoms. Our primary goal, since acupuncture has never been uh, utilized before in the hospital setting after open-heart surgery, is we wanted to assess if this was feasible, right? So are patients willing to accept acupuncture therapy after open heart surgery? We know that they're going through a lot. This is a monumental experience in their life. And is it also logistically feasible in the very fast paced environment? And then beyond that, we were very interested in looking at the outcomes. Is acupuncture going to have an impact on post-operative pain, nausea, stress, anxiety, the patient experience, as well as medical outcomes, including length of stay and post-operative atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is an irregular and often very fast heart rhythm that can lead to blood clots and increased risk of stroke or heart failure. Feingold says about 30% of patients can experience this after surgery, which can lengthen their hospital stay. Patients in Feingold's study received acupuncture the day after their surgery and then each day following until they were discharged. Three licensed acupuncturists, including Grumon, were charged with delivering this therapy. 
they came up with these standard protocol that we used for this study that targeted all of the common symptoms that can occur after cardiovascular surgery, including ones related to cardiac rhythms and cardiac functioning, but also things related to pain, depression, anxiety, nausea, vitality, and so forth. So our protocol consisted of about eight or nine needles that were placed on the body and in the ear. And then because acupuncture is not prescriptive, it's very individualized. We always take into account who is the human in front of us. We would look at what else do they need? And then we would add points depending on if they had anxiety or depression, we would add points for that. If they had pain, we would add points for that. If they had nausea from anesthesia, we would add points for that. So we would modify that protocol by adding things that were necessary. Even though this is just the beginning of their research, Feingold says that these first results are very exciting. For one, it proved that acupuncture is able to be delivered in such a chaotic environment. Another win was the patient's acceptance of the therapy. Majority of our patients had no prior experience with acupuncture, indicating or suggesting that they're very open to receiving integrative therapies in this environment. So that was very exciting. Also very exciting is we found that there's significant promise in the role of acupuncture for improving outcomes and patient experience after open heart surgery. And so that was very exciting. Our patients in the acupuncture arm reported less severity of pain, nausea, stress, and anxiety compared to their counterparts who didn't receive acupuncture. They also spent fewer hours in the intensive care unit, about seven fewer hours compared to those who didn't receive acupuncture. And then the last, and possibly most important outcome, is that this research suggests that acupuncture therapy could reduce instances of atrial fibrillation after surgery. So like I said, about a third of patients historically might experience post-operative atrial fibrillation after surgery. And we did find that patients in our standard care experienced a 32.7% incidence of post-operative AFib, but those who experienced daily acupuncture, they had an incidence of 13.7%. So patients who experienced daily acupuncture had a 58% reduction in the incidence of post-operative AFib, which was very exciting. Again, this was a smaller pilot study, but just to appreciate the potential role of acupuncture reducing medical outcomes is remarkable. And we know that heart disease extends well beyond the heart. So I just love it when therapies and treatments address the whole person. You can find more information about Dr. Kim Feingold, Anya Gramone, and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. For more behind-the-scenes, follow Radio Health Journal on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Our writer-producer is Kristen Farah. Our executive producer is Amara Zaveri. I'm Elizabeth Westfield. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal... Somebody is worried about me, is seeing me, and is trying to take care of me. When a natural disaster strikes, how can you help the people who've lost everything? Then, science and math are big predictors of success later in life. So how do we keep kids interested? It's a critical age where many students are transitioning and can drift away from their interests in science and engineering. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. I'm 
Elizabeth Westfield, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. The big conglomerates have a more conservative aesthetic, so there's fewer risks that they can take. Whereas these small presses, these independent presses, these nonprofits, they can take risks, they can do wilder things, they can be a little bit more creative. Why you should care about the consolidation of publishing. Then. And the doctor said, no way. He's like, I think you're fine. And I'm like, I'm really not. And if you think I'm fine, I'm going to go to another doctor. How contraceptives could be causing a much larger problem. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal.